What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everyone and welcome back to another edition of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Kelly Jennings filling in for Woody Overton. Uh-oh, y'all. <laughs> I know y'all are freaking out now. <laughs> hey, That's y'all. right. We've got the unspeakable one. Tis I. Kelly Jennings in the flesh with us today. Woody couldn't join us. Kelly was nice enough to come on the show and fill in for him. And, uh, you know, some people call her like the female Woody Overton. So (laughs) if you've never heard the podcast Unspeakable, a true crime podcast by Kelly Jennings, go right now. Yeah, go listen. Just subscribe, listen to it. Uh, she's amazing. She helps us out anytime we need it. I mean, hey, we're human. People get sick. Things happen. And uh, she's always one to to help us when we call. So thank you very much for being on the show. I am thrilled to be here. So me and Kelly, y'all, were talking yesterday, and we're like, what do we want to do today's episode on? And Kelly had a great idea. Yeah. So I remember there was an uh, an inmate that I dealt with, and his name was Justin Granier, and he was very interesting to me. Yeah. He's interesting <laughs> to you and a lot of other people, it seems. <laughs> So before we get into what we talked about with uh, with this particular episode, I want to make everyone aware Kelly has a, you know, much like Woody has a history in law enforcement. So she worked. Kelly actually worked at Bloody Angola. She was a classification officer at Angola. She is a educator. She has a master's degree in criminal justice. Uh, she is a commission sheriff's deputy. So Kelly, Kelly walks the walk, talks the talk and is amazing. And I'm going to tell y'all a quick story about Kelly before we get into today's story that y'all really like. Um, there are people in this world and I am an observer of people. So I watch how people interact with other people, how they react to certain situations. One night, my wife and I go with Kelly and her husband, and we're just, uh, we're, you know, our kids had a, a some deal they were eating at. It might have been for prom or something. I can't remember what it was. It was but a birthday party. Birthday party. That's right. And so we're hanging out while they're eating, and there was a little kid. It was like a, practically a baby, and it's walking with two parents, and um, all of a sudden you hear, Ert! and it's a car, and it's slamming on the brakes. And I'm telling you, before you could even look up, Kelly was five steps across the street to grab this kid. So what does that tell me as an observer of people? Well, that tells me that's someone that does not hesitate when there's danger of any type. So Kelly's the real deal. 
Uh, and a lot of you who follow her, she has a very successful podcast. And those of you that follow it, you know that you comment on that, and and uh, she's some people spirit animal or whatever they say, and, <laughs> and <laughs> all I those things. I didn't know a jackass could be a spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny because the person who takes herself the least serious is Kelly. That's right. And uh, and so that just makes her a very endearing person, and she is an absolutely amazing storyteller. So with that, oh my God, I'm so let, <laughs> let's talk. About uh, let's talk about how we came up with today's episode. Yeah, so you know, Jim gave me a call and said, "Can you come be on the show?" You know, Woody's got some other stuff he's got to handle, and so I said, "Sure, no problem." And then there was kind of silence on the phone. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh God, you know, what are we going to do?" And so I don't know why he popped in my head, but I just, you know. When you work in a prison, okay, first of all, I'll tell you classification, if you're not familiar with it, we do, you know, housing, custody, and quarters. Basically, you're dealing with the inmates, you're looking at their cases, you're determining whether they're, you know, a a high threat, medium threat, low threat within the prison system, right? Right. And we look at the crimes that they committed, and are they sex offenders or, you know, whatever, and then we kind of classify them. So I dealt with inmates a lot, day in and day out, that's kind of what I did. And so, um, you know... When I was there, there was 5,183 inmates. I remember that number. There was wow. a lot of them. And so the face, the names would kind of blend in together. But the faces, for the most part, I can remember seeing faces. And I can remember specific instances of little things that had happened. But this guy popped in my head because this is the one and only time that this ever occurred. Oh, wow. This was the only Can't time. Can't wait to hear this. No, it's not even that good. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in my office. And I was doing some paperwork, and there was a knock on my door, and an inmate stepped in, and it was the only time, I'm dead serious, in all of the history of me working in corrections and and law enforcement, that I was like, holy shit, that is a good-looking man when he walked in the door. (laughs) And he's a total prisoner. he's a total prisoner. (laughs) He's a total prisoner. And... I don't know if you know this or not, but that's a problem in a prison setting. Whenever oh, yeah. the free people, <laughs> whenever no, don't get it twisted, y'all. I I was a professional, and th- this is not going to. But go there is a lot of but but there's tomfoolery. a there is a whole lot of tomfoolery that goes on in prisons, and that becomes a security issue if you want to be straight. So, like my master's degree, by the way, is not only criminal justice, but it's uh, security and administration. So, yeah. you know, I take security very seriously. But I mean, I'm a human being, and all. Holy hell, that was a good looking man when he walked in the door. Um, and so I remember kind of being like, Rutro, when he walked in, like, what did he do? And I immediately wanted to know what was his crime and what did he do? But, you know, when you work in that setting, it's. What um, did he do? W- it was probably to, more like, hmm, what did he do? What did he do? <laughs> Who did he, you know, he <laughs> offend? And how could you possibly be offended by him, right? Right. All right. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to forget there are victims to That's this case. Right. Okay. That's and so right. I'm being totally silly, but, um, you know, real quick before we get into his case, you know, his name was Justin Granier, and um, he's actually all over the internet. And I really kind of think a lot of this is fueled by some some real real issues, but also because he's good looking and mm. he gets attention for that, but. You know, whenever you're in pre-training, I guess, before you're released out into the prison, there's a lot of time spent talking to you about the seriousness of relationships in prison right. and that there cannot be relationships in prison. Well, you know, when I was training, I thought, well, no problem. Uh, like, you know, I'm looking around going, no worries here. We got a bunch of walking around, right. you know. Um, but like I said, he he's a handsome fella. Yeah. And it did grab my attention. And um. For five seconds, it grabbed my attention. Not yeah, long, right. um, but anyway, he came in. And I mean, I, you're him, and you're gonna notice one of yeah. Pretty, I mean, a pretty guy, <laughs> you're handsome mean, man. I guess walks listen, by. Listen, just because you're reading the menu doesn't mean you're taking an order, right? Okay, so don't get it twisted, right? All right. Well, anyway, so um, he came in, and I remember he was wanting help with some paperwork, and it just kind of fell out of my mouth. I was like, "What did you do?" Which you're not supposed to do, okay? But it just kind of like, "What did you do?" Yeah, right. So. Records are kept up front, and you have to call for records if you ever need to, if, if you're going to evaluate an inmate for whatever it was that he was wanting. I don't know if he was wanting a job change or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what he did, and I was just curious what he did. And mm-hmm. he flat out just started talking to me about it and said, oh, well, um, I was involved in a – he told me it was 
Now, what I'm telling you is what he told me, okay, mm-hmm. while we were sitting there. Mm-hmm. But he said I was involved in a drug deal gone wrong, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I've ever heard of a drug deal gone right. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he said he told me that he was a getaway driver when they were going to score some drugs at a gas station. And I thought he told me in Prairieville, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's actually correct. We're going to we're gonna get into that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to give everyone the facts of that case. Good. So, um, and I was like, all right. So, and he's like, but I didn't kill anybody. And I'm like, okay, well, you're still <laughs> busting up in a drug deal or someone died. Right. That doesn't make it any better. You're right. still an accomplice, a part of it. You Especially know not in the state of Louisiana. Uh, right. Because in the state of Louisiana, we have a thing called, you know, your principal to a law, yeah. I mean, to a crime. Yes. So just because you weren't the one who pulled the trigger, if you were there and you helped mastermind it. and You, you are just as guilty. You're just as guilty. That's right. And you know what? That's true. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's true. You don't mm-hmm. have to be the one to pull the trigger. If that was the case, we'd have a bunch of little sissy boys running around with both their finger in the, you know, in the trigger guard pulling the trigger together. Right. That, that doesn't that's not how this works. Yeah. Um so anyway, we finished our business that day and he walked off, but I just was so um I don't know, I was so intrigued by him because he didn't look like everyone else walking around the prison. He had a different He almost and this is going to be weird because remember, interactions with people, you know, your perception of people is only based on your interaction with them. Mm-hmm. And the the interaction I had with him, he was very gentle. He was very calm. He was very chill, very just, you know, this guy. And I remember thinking like, damn, you look like people I hang out with on the street. You don't look like yeah. what I'm normally dealing with. And what I mean by that is demographically. Okay. So majority of the inmates that I would deal with were going to be, you know, African-American, you know, inner city, drug deal, murder, you know, that's demographically speaking. Mm-hmm. He was white. He was uh, tan. His eyes were very, very green. Like they almost glowed looking. Now, if they're blue, don't come at me, y'all. I'm just saying they were light. Yeah. I, I didn't stare that long. But um, and he just looked like a young guy who. I don't know. He just didn't look like murder. Yeah. But what does murder look like? Right. That's what exactly does, right. What does there murder is look? No there is no look. look. That's right. So, and he had been down for a few years uh, whenever I came across him. So I was like, golly, how old were you when this happened? I didn't say that to him, but I'm thinking, damn, like you don't even look that old. Mm. I mean, were you eight? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're going to get into the facts of the case and then we're going to talk about some interaction that you had with him. All right, y'all. So on September 15th of 2001, I was a junior in high school at about <laughs> 530 in the morning. Two men approached DeLon Supermarket in St. Amal, which is in Ascension Parish, Louisiana. So for those of you that are not from Louisiana, it's about mm, 15 minutes from Baton Rouge. Uh, DeLon Supermarket is a very well-known supermarket in that area. I've been in there several times. Uh, So it's early in the morning, and they had some intent to rob the cashier. One of the men was armed with a thirty thirty Marlin rifle. And he did not mention that. Yeah, yeah. He left that out of the story. <laughs> he made it seem like it was like a little three eighty or something right. that just happened to have in case. And let me tell y'all who aren't familiar with that, a thirty thirty is a deer rifle. Yeah. So that is a very high powered rifle. Got a big bullet in there. But you know, even if you didn't know that, I want to put this into context. Even mm-hmm. if you didn't know the size of the bullet, it's a big gun mm-hmm. and a why? Big gun. Why would you bring that? And it's to scare people who yeah. don't know shit about guns. Excuse me, you know my language, sorry. No. If you're easily offended, <laughs> I'm we not cuss sugar- all the, <laughs> I know. You do know Woody uh, <laughs> co-hosts this show. Right? Okay, well look, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm cuss away. <laughs> we love cussing. I know, right? <laughs> but if you don't know anything about a weapon, you know, and you just see this big gun, it would be to scare you. Yes. There's no other reason if that if, if it wasn't to put fear in their eyes and into their into their mind, then you would have not brought a weapon at all. You right. could have just scared them with your good looks. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, one of the men had a thirty thirty Marlin rifle. He shoots and kills Luke Vilar, who was a DeLon's employee cleaning the parking lot. So imagine this. Look, this is really disgusting to me. Number one, I have three kids that work at a supermarket. So when I was reading over the facts of this case, I was getting more and more pissed. And he's cleaning. He's cleaning the parking parking lot. He's basically sweeping. This is what happens. You get to work in the morning. Your manager tells you, hey, go sweep up the cigarette butts in the parking lot. This poor kid. He's in high school, y'all. This is a high school kid. Kid. Uh, And he's sweeping up cigarette butts in the parking lot. 
uh, and this guy pulls up, shoots him with a thirty thirty. The gunman then walked to the doorway of Dawn's and shot Angelina Weber, who was an employee standing by the cash register. So she's just sitting there counting her till. Yeah, just innocent. The most innocent of people and zero threat. Right. So the two men then run. They don't they don't take any money. They basically shoot two people and run. Now let me let's get into that real quick yeah, let, before I have we go about any that further. Too. My thought process there, and Kelly, you are the expert in this. Why would they not take money and just okay, run? So this is what I believe, and this is based on a lot of things that I've read and, and mm-hmm. studied. Is your expert opinion, if you will? Oh yeah, I mean, if, yes, you're an expert. <laughs> okay, well, okay. So something that happens too in murders, uh, and this was a murder, but I'm saying like even if you were, you know, they didn't know their victims here necessarily. Mm-hmm. They weren't, you know, friendly with them. But people do not account. For their emotions, whenever they go and they murder somebody, they think in their mind, oh, I'm a badass. I'm going to roll up in here. I'm going to start just popping caps and people and we're going to steal the money. And, you know, we're going to have this war story to go tell people. But once you pull that trigger and you're watching people drop, it's different. I think they panicked. I think that they thought, oh, you know, oh, shit, here we go. We really started this, you know, and they panicked and they rolled out. I agree 100 percent. And, you know, when you're a criminal, you're picturing all this in your head, how this is going to go down. When it actually goes down, you do. You freak out, I would imagine. And so they shoot these two people, and they forgot to take the damn money. That's yeah. basically what happened. Their brain moved so fast, all they could think was, we need to get the fuck out of here. Right. Well, think about this. Even if you, you're not familiar with a life of crime, let's say you had a huge presentation that you were about to go give. Right. right. You've, you've planned, you've prepped, you've thought it through, you've got your whole plan laid out. And then when you get on stage, oh, right, you kind of freeze and you get you get real nervous in the moment and you forget things that you've practiced over and over again. Kind of the same concept. Exactly. So Angelina, she, the cashier, she survives. She sustained some wounds to her head and her arm that were caused by bullet fragments, but she lived. However, she was unable to identify the gum, and it happened so fast, they basically just, you know, I'm sure she heard the parking lot shots, and the next thing you know, a guy's standing there, he shoots, she covers, so she didn't really uh, see enough of him to even identify well and another thing that happens too with people is whenever that some kind of tragedy like this or trauma is going down even if he would have had a small little pistol in his hand you can be looking dead at the person who's holding the gun and then you ask somebody you ask that person hey you know what kind of gun was it and they'll tell you a big one yeah because they see the gun yeah they're looking at the threat or what's going to kill them obviously the person pulls the trigger but you know maybe focus more on the weapon yeah that's a great point now based on an incident that occurred about 4 30 a.m that same morning at a residence about a quarter mile from delon's officer brought in justin grognier for questioning and they also brought along uh lucas roddy and josh barrow now uh, Grenier and Barrow gave statements and they actually admitted their involvement in the incident at DeLon's. But there was a problem. Grenier gave two separate statements to the police. Both statements were introduced into evidence at trial. Now, in the first statement to the police, Grenier said that he drove and Roddy and Barrow were passengers. After the three decided to rob DeLon's, Grenier parked 100 to 200 yards away. Roddy and Barrow exited the car with guns, and the defendant stayed in the car. That is what he told me. Okay. Except also, I don't, I could be wrong, y'all. It's been a hot minute, but I really thought he said it was a drug deal. But uh, well, I'm sure he did. Yeah. So the defendant says he then heard gunshots, and moments later, Roddy and Barrow got back in the car with the guns. Roddy said he shot someone and thought he killed him. The defendant drove to the house of Nick Babin, a friend, and Roddy and Barrow removed their long sleeve shirts and Grenier hid the clothing in Babin's barbecue pit. Wow. Yeah. That's what you came up with? (laughs) Throw it in the barbecue pit. They didn't set it on fire now. They just hid it in the barbecue pit. Because no one's going to search that. Right. Yeah. Who would look there? Good God. Now, in his second statement to to police, uh, Grenier said that he drove to DeLon's and parked about 50 yards away. Eh, I could see, you know, that may be changing. I would be curious to know the time frame between 
the two um, interviews. Because sometimes you will interview somebody and then time passes, you know, they'll, it'll be, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours. Then they interview you again and you remember things, more things, or you remember things a little differently because you've had time to process more because, okay, they are absolute the perpetrators here, not giving them an ounce of, of leniency here, but the brain is still the human brain. Mm-hmm. And just like a victim might remember things after a while, right, when they get out of the shock of it, they are also still in the shock of what's happened. Again, not saying that they are victim in any way. I'm just saying the brain. So I'd be curious to know, did he change his answers to to try to manipulate the situation? Well, they, or absolutely. Well, here's the thing, though. Woody Overton will tell you mm-hmm. as a as a, um, you know, a homicide detective who's led a lot of questioning in rooms that the truth never changes. That's true. So regardless of the time frame, it doesn't matter if it's been an hour later or seven hours later. The truth is the truth, and it never changes. So when things change, there's been a lie told. There you go. Period. So in his second statement to that to police, the defendant said he drove to DeLon's. He parked 50 yards away. Only Roddy was with the defendant in this statement. So he, he all of a sudden a whole, a whole person. person. Yeah. So it was the ghost of Josh Barrow. Right. He wasn't even there. As a matter of fact, he says Barrow was at Justin Smith's house. Roddy exited the car with mm. the 3030 and the defendant exited the car with a loaded 20 gauge shotgun. So now he has a weapon he and he's a- leaving the car. Mm. According to Grenier, the plan was to tell everybody to stand back and get the money. When they got within 10 to 20 feet of Velar in the parking lot, and I'm going to caution y'all, this is this really upset me. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, Roddy shot him in the back. Coward 101. Velar fell. Now, this is a teenager. Vilar fell, got up, and Roddy shot him again with a 30-30. What an animal. Yes. So, at this point, Grenier says he ran back to the car and did not fire his weapon. The defendant drove to Babin's house where, as we said, uh, he and Roddy removed their long-sleeve T-shirts and hide them in the barbecue pit. Now, at the trial... Uh, Grenier testified that the first statement he gave to the police was true. <laughs> so he gave two statements. And of course, at the trial, the attorney brings us up and he says, so which one was accurate? And he well, says, oh, well, the first one where I said I was just sitting in the car and I never had a weapon. That was the true one. Right. The other one and was the invent, lie. You're not going to invent a new lie that makes you look worse. Right. You know what I'm saying you're not. Why would exactly. you do that? Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that's a big red flag. And it's also a problem if you're a juror and the guy's on the stand admitting he lied in one of his statements. To me, that takes away credibility. Oh, 100%. So why should I believe anything you're saying? 100%. And you're already a piece of shit. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's just like, what size piece of shit are you? Right. So according to Grenier, uh, the truth was that he did not get out of the car and that Roddy shot Vilar on cross-examination. The defendant admitted that he knew Roddy and Barry were going to rob the store. Originally, he had said he didn't even know that was going to happen. And that while he waited for them, Vilar was killed. And then after he heard gunshots, he waited in the getaway car until Roddy and Barry returned and then drove away with them. The defendant did not admit he hid the guns, which the guns were hidden. Uh, obviously, that's the first thing they want to get rid of and hide. Well, hey, let me add this question in there real quick too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you had no, you had no idea that they were going to be shooting these people, right? They right. were just bringing these guns in. So why did you sit there after shots were fired? What if someone was firing at your co-defendants? Yeah, and you needed to get away to self-preserve. I don't buy that. I think that you knew that they were going to go in there and they had the capability oh, yeah, to shoot them. Man. And you yeah. didn't try to even self-preserve by by getting out of dodge or or moving. Yeah. Like no. The the only thing I believe out of out of all of that that he has said is I do believe that he didn't pull a trigger. I don't either. Yeah, I don't I, I, don't think I, he did. I believe that a hundred percent. Uh and that'll play into as we move along in the story. But 
that was the official uh, statements. And as you can see, there's a lot of inaccuracy there. Now, he goes to trial. Uh, actually, all three of them go to trial, including uh, uh, Nicholas Babin, who was the friend they went to his house and, and started hiding things. And look, it's important to mention right here, and Kelly, uh, maybe expand on this a little bit. Louisiana is is unique. There's only a few states that consider uh, principle to murder basically the same thing as committing murder. And I think that's the key to this whole story is it occurred in Louisiana and they don't do they or don't they differentiate if you are with someone that robs a grocery store and they kill somebody are you just as guilty as they are yes okay absolutely and and that's state law that's not an opinion that no. is that is the law of the land here right, right. well and i think it kind of lends lends itself to you know birds of a feather flock together mm-hmm. okay so if me and you are going to go do something think about it when you were younger me and a friend are going to go do something and they were going to go do something that was completely and totally out of my element it's nothing i would ever be comfortable doing there's no way in hell that i would ever be a part of that i'm exiting stage left there is no amount of peer pressure even when it comes to murder or putting a gun in somebody's face. I'm not doing that. Even yeah. if I am a little wannabe thug, okay, I would know my level of, of thugness, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, no hashtag, no, know your level, okay? <laughs> but, you know, and, and I know people probably disagree with me on this, and, and life experiences make us all different in, in what we would assume, you know, what we would do. But there's a limit to what I'm willing to do. Absolutely. You know what I'm trying to say? And the fact that you not only agreed to even just be the getaway driver, it means that you go along with whatever they're doing. You, in essence, hey, think about getting married, okay? Yeah. You say, you know what? Let's get married. Mm-hmm. Whatever your spouse does, you're along for the ride. Right. You right. know what I mean? Very if, true. If they decide that we're going to go blow all our money at the casino, well, then, hell, we're going to blow all our money at the casino. You're still a part of it. Right. Even if you didn't want to be. Even right. if you're like, no, don't do that. We're still both bankrupt together. That's right. It's the same thing here with this friendship. So, you know, I agree with the law. Now, the older I get, the older I get, I guess you could say, the more my brain does kind of ponder the idea. He did not pull the trigger. He didn't. But which lie do you believe? And in, 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 to me, it's levelized. Like, if he stayed in the car, he did not have the weapon on him, he is still completely and 100% responsible for his actions in this, and he is absolutely a participant, a co-conspirator, and he would have benefited from this robbery if they would have gotten the money. Mm-hmm. He would have benefited from it. So the mm-hmm. fact that he didn't benefit does not somehow take away the fact of his participation in it. And I think people sometimes hang on that. Like there was an inmate, another inmate, I'm not going to mention his name right now because we may talk about him another day, Mm. but I remember him telling his story and he was in a shootout with police and, you know, he even got shot in the face and he survived. And then the next line he always tells people is that, but nobody died. Yeah. I shot at the police, but nobody died, but they could have. Yeah. And you didn't care in that moment. What did happen to them? Yeah, it was by the grace of God. Yeah, died. it was by the. It absolute... wasn't because you you neglected to take action to try right. to make them. You die. were willing to take a bullet to the face. Yeah, and in my humble opinion, Justin went along with this, and he knew the propensity of what could happen. You brought loaded weapons to the scene. You drove the vehicle there with the intent of benefiting from what would have happened. From right. that. And and let me let me just interrupt you here yeah, because you just said a key statement that was the propensity of what could have happened. Yeah. Here's the thing, and here's what I what I struggle with when I was looking over this case. Um, it is one thing to have the intent to rob a store. It is another thing when you're you know. Let's assume he he never got out of the car. Let's assume that. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you're sitting in the car. You had no intent to kill anybody. There were, None of that was a part of the plan. And in your heart, if you could see in someone's heart, you would not do that. That was not part of you. And somebody else does it. Um, there was, when I was looking over the story, I'm like, eh, I don't know that he deserves the same level of punishment. However, Kelly just said the key word, and that is propensity of what could have happened. The reason they had this law in Louisiana is that one thing I can tell you he knew was there was a possibility of that. 
anytime you pull out a gun and you go to rob somebody, you know there's a possibility of a shootout, and you know there's a possibility that somebody could get killed. Well, hey, that's I'm, an issue. I'm a concealed carry person, mm. and let me tell you now, why do you conceal carry? Because you know that there may be a situation. Now, in my opinion, to defend my life, my gift of life, okay, but I carry a loaded weapon mm. with no safety. Because when it comes to a weapon drawn on me or someone trying to kill me, I don't want the safety. Mm-hmm. I want to defend my life. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you don't conceal carry to to be cool. You don't conceal carry because you don't think, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You conceal carry because it's not you know, if then thinking, it's when then thinking. When someone tries to kill me or hurt my children, I will defend their lives to the death. Yeah. That's why you bring a gun to the fight, if that yeah. makes sense. That it does make sense, and and uh, and they and they shot children. Children, you know, in uh, a kid that was working at five thirty in the morning. This is, I'm sure, just the greatest kid, and he's out there, and he's just trying to make a little money, maybe you know, saving up for college or whatever he's doing, and he lost his life because of a fucking idiot. Yeah, and and, and so, you know, there's a lot of parents out there. I do want to say this because there's a lot of parents out there, and Woody would say, you know, Swim, who is someone that ain't me, would want them out of prison because they want to kill them. And yeah. so, if you're out of prison, I can kill you. And I'm not saying me; I'm yeah. saying someone that ain't me. But uh, that is is something where he might be safer where he's at, honestly, uh, it, it, because of. If that were a a lot of people, you know, that imagine put yourself. People forget about the victims, Kelly. That's what I want to say. They so forget bad. about the victims. If this isn't about Justin, this isn't about Lucas, this Roddy, this isn't about Josh Barrow. This is not about Nick Babin. The mm. whole case is about those two kids that were shot. Because I honestly don't give a shit how Justin and Lucas and Josh and all them feel, and how Josh, Josh, uh, excuse me, Justin feels like he's victimized in this because he didn't actually pull the trigger. That boy was shot. He. He stood up and tried to run away and another bullet was put in him. Mm-hmm. He is the victim. He doesn't get to live his life. He doesn't, Someone's son. He doesn't get to go to court and, and beg for his life and his freedom and for a second chance. He is six feet underground. He's mm-hmm. dead. His okay. life was snuffed out. The poor girl that was shot on the inside. Yeah. I know there's Scarred emotional trauma. For life. Yeah. Traumatized and for what? Because these three punk ass people wanted to go steal money because yeah. you weren't man enough to go get a job. You weren't man enough to hold down the fort like a real man would do. To to have the the manliness about you to say, My role on earth is to provide for myself and my future children and my wife. You know, no, you're a punk. You're a punk who decided to get behind the wheel of a car to drive to a store with the intent of violence to happen. Hell, you didn't even take the money. Yeah. Tell me violence wasn't on your mind. Right. And shoot shoot somebody straight in the back. And then run away. So I'm not saying Justin doesn't have a heart. I'm not saying Lucas doesn't. I'm not saying Josh doesn't. Because when you get older, things change. Well, you mature. You mature. And, and we're going to talk about that a but little bit. But guess what? The victims never, or the victim that dis- that died never got to mature. That's right. So let's get let's get to the, the kind of move forward in this case. And there were some interesting things. And I want to tell y'all what the sentences were. First of all, we'll talk about Grigny. Okay. So Grigny initially he was facing first degree murder and attempted first degree murder charges. Uh, those were dropped down to second degree murder charges, and I think that was because they could never prove. Uh, that he obviously pulled a trigger. Um, well, but also, um, you you know, first degree murder is going to be the intent and the planning mm-hmm. and the preparation, right? And that they might have been more like, or were obviously more likely to get the conviction on the second degree because mm-hmm. it takes away that little muddiness of did he know? Did he not know? Did he yeah. have a weapon? Did he not have a weapon? That's right. It makes it a lot easier to prosecute. However, in the state of Louisiana, second degree murder is a life sentence. Right. It's not like you drop down to twenty five and in parole, you know, or anything like that. So, uh, he, you know, what it does take off of the table is the death penalty. That's kind of the difference between the two: first degree murder. You can get the death penalty, second-degree murder, it's life in prison. You can't get the death penalty for that. 
Uh, so it took that off the table, but Kelly's absolutely right. It takes away the the problem of the prosecution to have to prove that he had intent and all those sort of things. So, well, and if you want to do another comparison too, a lot of people were familiar with the um, the Casey Anthony trial, mm-hmm. and everyone knows she killed her kid. There's no question. I, I'm sorry, there's just no question. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason that she was not convicted is because they went so tough, yeah. but they could not prove manner of death in that case. And if you can't prove manner of death, then how can you prove? you know, 100% or beyond a reasonable doubt yeah. that that's how that death happened. And so I think they were trying to avoid that type of situation there. Right. So he goes to uh, to trial and he actually pleads not guilty. And you may wonder, well, why didn't he just plead guilty and take a plea deal? Well, there was no plea deal. Uh, he had nothing to lose. I mean, you're looking at life in prison, period. Uh, you have nothing to lose by pleading not guilty and, and all of those sorts of things. So he gets eventually convicted second degree murder he gets life in prison no parole uh lucas roddy who was the the accomplice there and the guy that he says pulled the trigger eventually got convicted and sentenced to life in prison nicholas babin who uh who was the guy they went to the house and hid the shirts and all that he was guilty to accessory after yeah. the fact to attempted murder. He testified against Roddy and agreed to testify against uh, Grenier. And so he kind of got a, a plea deal on that and uh, and got, you know, 10 years in prison or whatever it was. So, you know, in second degree murder, too, it says in the law, too, that there may not have been intent necessarily like planned long term that you were going to kill that person. But you did. Luke Vilar didn't intend to die that day. Right. And so I think this is one of the frustrations. And we know we already said it, but but it's not about these guys that did this. You know what I'm saying? The mm. justice is about, we'll never have justice because if if, if it was justified. Unless was, you can raise him from the dead. Right, right. Which, you know, only one man's ever done that. So, yes. um, you know, this at this point, it's just like, do we kill you or not? And I know maybe I'm a harsher penalties type of lady, but in my opinion, Lucas Roddy should have got the death penalty. I, there's no excuse. You took a gun, you shot and you killed somebody and you tried to kill the other person. I'm done with you. Bye bye. Um, Justin, I'd be willing to give a little bit more leniency to if he did not get out of the car. Plus, he did not pull a trigger. Life in prison. Josh Barrow, same. If you didn't pull a trigger, you were there, you know, life in prison. If you wanted to level it out. But if I was the mother of Luke, you know, then I'd be like, kill them all. Right. I would, too. And I'm glad you brought up mothers because a mother would become a key in the appealing of this case. Now, y'all, anytime someone gets sentenced, especially to life in prison, the death sentence, whatever it is, get ready for the appeals to roll because they're all going to roll. And we've talked about this so many times on on Bloody Angola. But prisoners have, convicts have 24 hours a day, seven days a week to do nothing but read law books and find holes in the system. Well, and he's got to because it's without the benefit of probation, parole, or suspension of sentence. Yes. So he's got to find a fault gotta or find else a he's fa- stuck. Right. And and they have nothing but time right. to do that, right? Uh, they even have, you know, prison lawyers, if you will. Kelly, tell us a little bit about prison lawyers. Yeah, I kind of chuckle at that. So they call themselves, you know, in, in, inmate lawyers or whatever. Y'all, yeah. that just means they can read and write and that they can interpret. I'm not saying they're stupid or anything. It's just that the average inmate, I wouldn't say, was of the, you know, top of the food chain intelligence-wise. But um, they, they're familiar with the system. They're familiar with, you know, things they've seen over and over again. And so they're able to help other inmates kind of – they they know the the statutes like right. the back of their hand and they they're good at they're good at finding holes. They didn't pass the bar exam though. Don't no. get it twisted. No, yeah, they're not <laughs> F. Lee Bailey. No, <laughs> <laughs> for sure to be sure. But no. they they are definitely you know smarter than the average bear yes. in there. Yes, and uh, and they they do nothing all day but read law books and so they you know and it also keeps them safe in prison because nobody messes with the inmate lawyers. Um, they don't bite the hand that feeds you if they're yeah, willing to help you. Then. That's right. So uh, eventually they start working towards these appeals and a mother would play a key role in that. So this mother's name was Gladys Mobley and Gladys Mobley was one of the jurors in this case. And upon appeal, uh, Grenier's team, legal team, I guess you could say, discovered an issue 
And it was a legitimate, he has a legitimate gripe here. And that gripe was Gladys Mobley's son worked at the DeLon's supermarket. Bingo. Because if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in the Constitution like I do, okay, then, all right, we now have to make sure that they get, you know, a fair, impartial trial. Yes. To be judged by a jury that will be fair and have no preconceived notions about these people or any type of emotional, Mm. you know, something or another. That's right. So it, it becomes an issue. And now you could, there is something called voir dire and voir dire. Tell us what voir dire is, Kelly. Basically you have the, I don't know if the word's right, but we should be all be privy to the same information. Um, prosecution and defense should both all be privy to the same information. And then we work our case based off of that general knowledge that everyone is aware of. That's right. And and so Vladir would be the jury selection stage of that trial. And during Vladir, you have to disclose if if you're aware, even if you're the prosecution and you're aware of a conflict with a juror, you have to disclose that to the defense. Right. Because I mean, imagine if you've got a jury pool and, and you're yeah. in a small town and like Uncle Eddie is 30. <laughs> well, hey, think about our parish we live in. Everybody's related. Everyone's right. the last name Sibley. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, so you never know who's related to who. That's right. So uh, they discover this connection. And so obviously his legal team, some of them I'm sure were smart said, I wonder if we can prove that the prosecution knew and omitted to tell the defense this information. Well, and the question is why? Yes. Why would you omit that unless you knew that you had some kind of leg up using that person as a juror, right? That is the question. So they start digging and they start looking through uh, interviews that police held and they, and they come across one. And uh, the police conducted an interview with Mark DeLon. Now, Mark DeLon was the owner of DeLon's supermarket. Uh, And the notes indicated that DeLon identified a Samuel Mobley as an employee who had been terminated. So he wasn't working there at the time that this occurred. But I'm sure when the police were interviewing DeLon and they're trying to, like, figure out why this would happen. Did anybody have a grudge against this kid? You know, they're putting together a case. They say, well, who have you fired lately? And he must have mentioned, well, we we did fire a guy by the name of Samuel Mobley recently. And, you know, they were maybe trying to piece that to, well, he would have a motive to do this. Uh, He had nothing to do with it, incidentally. But. Uh, they come across that. It was handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. And it also included documentation where they interviewed uh, Samuel Mobley and that Mobley had been read his rights. And in in that questioning, he mentioned a Gladys Mobley as his mother. So now you have some direct knowledge. The police actually have direct knowledge of this person. Now they turn over all these notes at some point, the prosecution is going to get these when they're prosecuting the case. These handwritten notes, guaranteed, somebody saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could have also been a situation where it's kind of like, okay, well, you better do your research and it, it, do. I, I think I think it, it's you're right. I mean, the prosecution could say, hey, we 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 just missed it. I mean, we just did not I mean, remember sh- seeing shady, that. But, you know. I mean, Voidier is literally French for to speak the truth. Right. So it should have been brought to the for, you know, to the forefront. It should have been brought to the forefront. Now, um, they, it gets even more interesting. So during Voidier, when they're so in the Voidier stage, they interview these potential jurors and the and the defense is allowed to get up and ask some questions. Prosecution is. And it's very important to point out that just because you have direct knowledge of a case does not mean that you can't serve on a jury. What they're going to ask you is they're going to say, would that direct knowledge of a case cause you to be impartial or can or you be can impartial you be regardless impartial? of that direct knowledge? If you say yes, you're considered fine you can you know you can watch the whole oj simpson trial and mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense but then serve on the oj simpson well, trial I, I it doesn't matter as long as you can say i can give an impartial verdict based just off the evidence i see at trial you 
you're okay. Well, and I think something about that too is like for me, you know, I could literally despise somebody. You know what I mean? Have had personal interaction with them and despise them. But that doesn't mean that I could not sit on a jury and look at evidence and weigh evidence, uh-huh. you know, fairly. Yes. yes. I mean, who would want to? Yes, it can certainly be done. Yeah. But, but, y'all, it's about to get real interesting because in voir dire, of course, Mobley, the, you know, the Gladys Mobley, the mother of the guy who got terminated from DeLon's, they asked her. They asked her some questions, and they said, uh, hey, have you heard or read about the murder at DeLon's? Now, every mother out there, I want your ears to perk up. If your son worked at a store where someone got killed in the parking lot, and I'm talking worked there recently, like the first thing that's going to run in your mind is, thank God my son was not there, Uh, right? Secondly, you said your son had already been read his rights and questioned. What, your son just forgot to tell you that part too? Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) they asked her whether she had heard or read about the murder, and she said, I just, I don't even remember what all I read, but I did read it in the newspaper what had happened and on the news and TV. But, you know, I haven't, you know, I I couldn't have formed an opinion. The interesting thing there for all you mothers and your ears are perking up is um, there is probably no way 99.9% of mothers and fathers out there, quite frankly, uh, would not have formed an opinion if your child had worked there. It had been my wife, it, it would have said fry him, you know, period, like, fry him or I will fry him. And and I'm sure a lot of people out there would have said the same thing. So I think she lied and I think she lied for a reason. Um, I think she wanted to be on that jury. Now this is conjecture. This is my opinion, but I think there's n- no way that she could, you know, she kind of was very vague with her answer. almost intentionally vague. Yeah. I question that. Um, and that's a problem. It's a problem that they knew at some point that this lady's child worked there. She would have brought that up during void ear if she would have wanted them to know. She, to me, she intentionally hid that. This is yeah. this is an opinion, y'all. I, I don't know any of this is fact. This is my opinion looking over this case. I would have further questions like, did your son know the victim? But at the time, they didn't know. They didn't know the son even worked. They they didn't know the time. That's the whole problem. The prosecution knew. The defense didn't. Yes, the prosecution would have went up and dismissed a juror and said, right. oh, no, your son worked there? Bye-bye. I'm just saying, informing my opinion of whether she lied or not. I would be curious to know, did your son know the victim? They did. He did. All right. My- I mean, he, he was fired like weeks before that. Right. But, but that's to your point. That, you know, maybe she was friends with the mother of the boy that was killed. You know, there, this could go very deep. And I'm just trying to point well, that out. And to, also her son who was fired was the same age yeah. as the kid that was killed. But like, think about it. If our kids work together at that grocery store mm-hmm. or that supermarket or whatever place you want to talk about, uh-huh. then then and you and I knew one another, mm-hmm. then it would come up in conversation. Absolutely. It would like, Oh my God, thank God our kids weren't working that day. Mm -hmm. Or, Oh my God, that could have been our kids. That could, I I don't want to seem like I'm coming after a woman who was innocent in this crime. I mean, she, she, she was just, you know, on the jury and had a kid that worked there. I don't want to seem like I'm attacking someone because I'm not. But if you have to somewhat leave out or manipulate in a way through omission, why? Right. And and sadly, we can't we can't say why because she's dead. Um, she passed away, so that became an issue because you can't pull her in on an appeal and put her on the stand and say, Miss mm-hmm. Gladys, why did you not tell anybody that your son worked there? That's right. a very important part. Um, you can ask the prosecution why didn't. You mention it, but it'd be real hard to prove whether they even knew. And I'm sure they're denying that to this day. They knew. Mm, they probably knew. They can't ask her, uh, you know, what was your reasoning for being so vague on your answers during Vladi or why didn't you mention that? Because she's not alive. So this was a big part, as you can imagine, of 
uh, Grania's case. And he fought it as he should have. And it kept getting kind of denied as he moved through the courts. So they fought this all the way to the Supreme Court. And I watch Supreme Court rulings a lot. Mm -hmm. This was one I'd say, "Mm, I don't agree with. And I typically agree with Supreme Court rulings. But Supreme Court basically stated that they denied his appeal. And they said the reason was she was no longer alive. And so there's no way to ask her, when you voted he was guilty, were you impartial? Yeah. There's no way to ask. She's not alive anymore. There's no way to ask her this. So in the Supreme Court's eyes, they have to go with her thought process at the time and assume she was being impartial. However, I have a problem with that because – that could be anybody. It could be someone that's totally innocent. He's not, but it could be. And in that situation, um, everything beyond Voidir should have been thrown out on her opinion because she was a witness who was compromised. And this is my opinion. I'm not saying that he needs to be let out of jail. Don't please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that. Does he deserve a new trial because of that? That's kind of a major thing. And I would probably say a new trial, really, if we're sticking to Constitution, is valid here. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a constitutionalist. I believe in the constitu- Constitution. I also believe that that boy should still be alive that they killed. Absolutely. I would wonder, as far as the jury vote went, because it was not unanimous, correct? Correct. Um, no, boom. It was unanimous. Okay. Either way. Ready? Yeah. Uh, it was a unanimous vote on that. So what if they switched hers to the opposite? It would still be a majority ruling. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I'm not a lawyer in that sense. So don't be like, if you're a lawyer listening to this, don't be like, that doesn't matter. I'm just saying logic from an average person's point of view. Would her vote, if it would have been no? Because I, I think the whole argument here is, would she have voted, did her vote somehow you know, flip the switch of whether he got life in prison or not. Well, if it's a unanimous vote, okay, well, nix her vote then. Take it out. Mm -hmm. Take it out. Well, then, did it affect? But then you could come in and say, yeah, but maybe she was in there behind closed doors and she was swaying the rest of the jurors to be able to vote. You know, it just goes down a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's a big rabbit hole. And and look, can they they poll other jurors and find that out? I mean, they're free to speak about that after. They can say, well, you know, three of us were not going to go that way. And Ms. Gladys kept convincing us he did it. I don't think, you know, some people just want to serve on a jury because it's like, uh, you know, something that is a very high profile case. And maybe this lady just wanted to be on it. Maybe she was being totally impartial. Um, she she has passed away, so there's no way to ask her that question. However, it is a big issue with this case. I personally do do looking at the at the um, at everything as a whole and being impartial, trying to be impartial myself, I do think he's got a legitimate gripe for a new trial. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that he would be found guilty again. I do too. Because regardless of her impartiality, whether it was there or not, he's admitted to this. And in the state of Louisiana, you are principal to murder and when you're a principal to murder, you are just as guilty as the murderer, and you get the same sentence. That's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. I mean, that is just the way it rolls. Well, how about this? How about uh, educate yourself in life before you go become a murderer or principal to a murderer? How about you just don't do it? How about you be a good person? Yeah. How about you go to DeLon's, put in an application, and sweep concrete at 530 in the morning? Right, instead and- of deciding to— you know, arm rob and murder people. I just, you know, I believe in the Constitution. I'm not a bleeding heart type of person. I'll try to look at things, you know, black and white, but with a with an ounce of uh, common sense sprinkled in there. Mm. And in this instance, uh, you know, I'm sorry that you made a mistake that made you throw your whole entire life away, but mm. you murdered someone and you were part of them and they no longer have their life. Yeah. You so, were you were you were a part of that. You, you may not have pulled the trigger. You're not a victim. And and maybe look, we're all human. 
And when you look at something with your blinders on and, and you don't allow things to distract you, um, this guy did not kill anyone. He did not take someone else's life. And that that is just a fact. And mm-hmm. and uh, none of the evidence points that he pulled any trigger. Um, but did he provide a vehicle to get them there? Absolutely. So, Well, I don't know if he provided the vehicle. He was well, in the vehicle. He drove. And... And you're like, okay, well, he drove. He didn't kill somebody. Well, guys, I mean, it's it's a puzzle. It, it, it's pieces it, it, to a puzzle. And once they all go together. Look, it's, it is it is the law of the land in Louisiana. Yeah. And you were a part of it. And that's all you have to be. Um, we want to mention that he is in Angola. He's been there, I think it's like 14 years now. Um, and he's done a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the things he's heavily involved in is the uh, the hospice program in Angola. Mm-hmm. And there, it, Kelly, isn't there a a, um, a TV show that I think it was on Netflix? You can catch some of these yeah. on YouTube. But it, it, it covers uh, the guys that work in that hospice program. So. Yeah, and to work in that program, I will give you this. You have to be a good inmate. Um, you're not... Um, you're not somebody who's sleazy and skeezy behind, as far as on paper behind yeah. bars, you know, because you're taking care of people in their end of life. And regardless of what someone has done, we as a we as a society are judged or should be judged by how we treat those that are dying, those that are sick and those that cannot help or defend themselves. Mm-hmm. So I will give him kudos for that, that he would be on this hospice team and be there to love and care for someone in their end of life mm-hmm. and to take care of them. And I think that's honorable. And I'm not going to take that away from him. No. Um, uh, look, he, he's also an ordained he, minister now. But he was not an ordained minister when he killed that no. before he was there. And I, I just have to keep bringing it up. Um, no, you're right. But look, I'm glad that the young man but he needs has, to make has, has yeah. is trying to make the best life that he can and be the best person he can right. while he's locked up. If, if we there's want any that justice for in it. all yes. inmates. If there's any justice or if there's any value to that young man's death, I would hope, you know, if you're just looking at it objectively, that maybe he was used as a, an avenue for someone else to become a better person and to impact other people's lives. I mean, if you had to look for something positive in it, you know, yeah. um, and that's easy for me to say, cause I'm not related to the victim. Right. Um, but you know, making those positive changes, becoming an ordained minister, taking care of people who cannot help themselves feeding people. They also make blankets um, or they did when I was there. And then they um, sell those at the rodeo. If you go and mm. they all benefit that hospice program. And it's, it's, it's like guys that have committed murder on sewing machines, like, you know, like quilting. Um, right. And, and you said this earlier and that is, you know, people mature, they do. people grow up mm-hmm. and we hope that, uh, that Mr. Grigny has, has matured and grown. It appears that he has. Um, all of the reports coming out of there um, are reflective of someone who, in society, would be a good human being. You know, and he probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing to base that on, other than you know, obviously what, what we're being reported to mm-hmm. about his behavior. Um, I just don't know that now is the time. Yeah. You know, maybe. Okay, I know people are going to come after me on this one because, but, you know, I think that as part of the human experience, we cannot bring the victim back. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. However, if you're genuine, if Justin is genuine in his change, in his maturity, in his way of being, then he needs to learn to be content in that right now. Yeah, Be content in that. Spend your time in prison doing nothing but good things, mm-hmm. being a proponent of positivity and, um, you know, he's a minister and impacting the lives of the other inmates that are in prison. Absolutely. And then maybe, maybe when you are a lot older, mm-hmm. are not, I just, sometimes inmates will be setting up their parole. Mm-hmm. Let me explain what I mean by that. And I'm not hating on Justin. Okay, I'm just trying to give you some other viewpoints. No, here. yeah, we're actually, uh, uh, I guess, giving him a at a boy for for doing the right thing. The change that he has shown. Absolutely. Um, I think 
some inmates that, or I know for a fact, some inmates are just trying to set up their parole portfolio. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have no intentions of continuing to be a minister outside of this. No intentions of. Maybe not. I mean, there's. Or maybe they do. Or maybe they do. But something big to me, and it's this is just a personal thing because I've seen this over and over again, is have we ever seen in writing, on record, on record anywhere, him apologizing directly? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe now Mm -hmm. it is important to bring up that there are some, look, a lot of people are not allowed to communicate. Oh, right. The victim offender dialogue would have to be a reach out from the, from his family. Yes. But I'm just saying it's free and it doesn't have any contact for you to stand there and say, I was wrong. I robbed you of your life. You deserved more. Mm -hmm. You should still be here. If I had not participated in this, there's a good chance. Maybe you would still be here today. And that heartfelt reach out that I'm wrong. I'm dead wrong. I'm wrong for everything that I have done. Yeah. You know, and there's a difference between asking for forgiveness from someone or and pushing out the I was wrong. Amen. I I agree with that. And and look, Woody and I say it all the time. Kelly says it on Unspeakable, a true crime podcast by Kelly Jennings all the time. And that is uh, our hearts always go out to victims, but they go out to uh the the person who's in let's say in this case is incarcerated his family too yeah, he has a family that's hurting he has a family look everybody no matter how big of a monster they are brian koberger has a mother that loves him yes right and and uh, all of us that are mothers and fathers we are going to love our kids no matter what they do we may we may want to kill them <laughs> but we doesn't take away that love that is a love that you just have it doesn't go away and there are obviously people that love him mm-hmm. he has a, a he has a youtube and a, i mean it ain't his youtube i'm sure right. someone's running it for him right. his family right. um a facebook a tiktok a twitter all those things and it's all you know free justin and all that sort of stuff so there's a family there that misses him that loves him and our hearts go out to them too because Absolutely. i get it that they're hurting mm-hmm. i understand that as a father as a, you know i totally get that and uh and we just hope that no matter what happens with justin mm-hmm. um every day he wakes up he he feels utmost regret for what he made yes. and he decides that instant he opens his eyes that i want to make today a positive you know good day for someone else right and and whether it's in present or not that's what he does that's, that's all important he, and that's all he can do and that's all and, and that's i think all. that's all that's required at this point i mean you can't fix it so you can't move forward be a good person yeah. and be genuine that's right and i think that was a pretty dang good podcast kelly jennings what do you think i loved it i had a good time it was very very fun um look y'all we're gonna say it one more time Go follow Unspeakable a True Crime Podcast by Kelly Jennings. If you if you enjoyed this episode, you get pretty much that minus my voice <laughs> every every week on Unspeakable. Uh, it is one of the hottest true crime podcasts in the country, bar none. She is an amazing talent. She tells a story like no other, and she you know there's only one Kelly Jennings. I'll say it all the time. Uh, you, you know, you will be happy and you can binge on it. You can almost Netflix binge on her stuff cause she's in her third season. So yeah. if you've never heard her before, start, start off with the first one and you'll probably be done with them by the weekend. I mean, you won't be able to quit. Listening. I hope, yeah, I hope you go listen and I really appreciate it. And, um, I have a Facebook page too, that you yep. look at and yep. an Instagram and I post a lot of pictures and things that follow up on the stories that i that i do yeah her facebook is like uh, on fire i mean she's a very good uh social media person and she puts you know pictures of the cases she talks about and, and a lot of funny stuff she has some great merch too uh so check her out unspeakable kelly james we're going to link it into the description of this podcast so all you got to do is go down to the description and click on it and it'll bring you right to her apple podcast page and then we'll have a link for her facebook as well thank you so much for helping us out today i really enjoyed it it was a good time and until next time i'm jim chapman and i'm kelly jennings filling in for woody overton <laughs> your host of bloody angola a podcast 142 years in the making the complete story of america's bloodiest prison peace, peace.
straight line Shackled chain Oh, gruesome Gertie Is calling my name There is no mercy In this penitentiary Just ask the hillstring gang Wrangle three What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.